You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, serving you up quick-hitting news and analysis for Green Bay Packers fans. I'm joined by my friend Gil Martin, and my name is J.J. Leahy. Gil's a writer for thesportsdaily.com and Cheesehead TV. And in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers, because we're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. We are fresh on the heels of a blowout 41 to 25 point game versus the Chicago Bears. Man, that felt good. <laughs> hey, anytime you beat the Bears, it feels good. Beat the Bears as handily as the Packers did last week, it feels great. Well, we are excited this week. First of all, we get linebacker Chris Barnes back. He's been on the COVID 19 reserve list. Running back AJ Dillon should be following him shortly. He was present at practice but not participating, definitely keeping his distance. He was way off on the sideline just watching guys practice, but hopefully that's a sign that he will be back soon as well. This week, Gil, we are going to be taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that is on an incredible losing streak in the worst division in football in many decades, and their quarterback, Carson Wentz, has thrown 15 interceptions in just the last 11 games, while Aaron Rodgers... It took him 48 games to throw 15 interceptions. (laughs) I like those odds. Well, we're excited to dive into strategy. Packers versus Eagles. Let's get into it. I I tell you, I'm looking forward to this. I think there's a certain revenge factor from the uh, frustrating loss last year against Philadelphia, a game that the Packers probably should have won. And Philadelphia is struggling right now, and the Packers have to take advantage of that fact. Here's going to be one of my big focuses for the Eagles this week. Mm -hmm. A smart game plan. Last year, the Eagles were not a good team. Nope. But they smoked us because, and granted, it was LaFleur's fourth game ever as a head coach. Correct. And he lost Devontae late in the game, too. If Devontae doesn't go out, I don't think you lose that game. Agreed. Because he has, at that point, Rodgers does not have very many receivers. I believe Shepard is the one who he hit in the hands and then... It was intercepted, and yeah. Wasn't, uh, is that not the game where Al Lazard, there's a pass interference on Al Lazard, and he... No, because Lazard, I don't think he played... I don't think Lazard played an offensive play until that Detroit game last year. Let me look it up. See, that's my memory as well. But then also, you know that play I'm talking about where there's a a end zone PI, Lazard draws against the defender... And the defender starts, like, celebrating, and Lazard just points over to the ref. Right. And then, like, dusts himself off and walks away. I could swear that that was the Eagles game. Because, yes, my memory does say that it was the Lions game was the first one that he actually played on the offense. But that could be a little bit of a false memory just because of how massive his impact was on that game. Against Philadelphia, Lazard had 14 snaps. I believe it was Shepard who... It hit Shepard, I think, in the head and then was intercepted. Or That was the Detroit game. 
that was, was the Detroit game. The ball bounced off of Shepard's helmet. Right, but he dropped a, one that he should have had. Shepard turned the ball over at least twice in that Lions game. Mm-hmm. The ball that hit him in the head was ruled an interception because it never touched the ground. Right, that's correct. But he also fumbled a ball. Uh-huh. I feel badly for him because he's the kind of guy you want to root for, but he just can't get it done at this level, unfortunately. Well, if he can't get done on special teams. No. I, I don't know that he has much of a future in the NFL. I don't think he does. Doesn't have uh, what it takes to contribute with any regularity. So here's some numbers for you. So we signed Tavon Austin. Mm-hmm. He is going to be paid $308,000 for the rest of the season. Okay. However, you have to subtract the money that Darius Shepard was scheduled to make, which is $198,000. Mm-hmm. So that cost the Packers $110,000 in cash to pay Austin. But because of vet minimum rules, he only counts 22000 against the cap. Interesting. So this is a genius move. Yeah. Save money. Gutekunst and... Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Shepard got himself benched, wasn't doing returns against the Bears. That was Malik Taylor. Right. So at that point, you knew it was over because he hasn't been allowed to contribute on offense hardly at all. By the way, your memory is correct. 9-22 left in the fourth quarter, second and goal at the Eagles 5. Aaron Rodgers... Pass incomplete, short middle for Alan Lazard, penalty on Avante Maddox, defensive pass interference, and the Packers got it first and goal at the one, and that drive ended four plays from the one, incomplete for Graham, incomplete for Vitali, incomplete to nobody in particular, and incomplete for Graham, and the Packers did not score on that drive. Devontae Adams told us today, Randall Cobb called him up to let him know that Tavon Austin was coming in for a workout, because I guess Cobb and Austin are close friends. Okay. Adams was pretty excited. He said he believes Austin will be a really good fit in the locker room because of his personality. I guess he's a really upbeat and energetic and positive guy. Nice. And you you know that our locker room loves guys like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I don't dislike Shepard. But I last year, I didn't understand why we, why we brought him back. Just last week, you and I were debating, what do we do to fix the return game? Do we bring in somebody from outside? Fortunately, that is the direction the Packers end up going in. Yeah. Shepard is the kind of guy I want to like and root for and see do well. But he just wasn't getting it done. I'll tell you who is getting it done, though. And that would be Travis Fulgham for the Eagles. Yes, he is. He is looking mighty good and... I'll tell you something else. Prediction for for Sunday, Zadarius Smith has three sacks, minimum. I mean, and Green Bay has at least five as a team. That Eagles offensive line is so putrid right now. And no offense to the people on it, but they just, Seattle made them look bad. Seattle, their defense is record bad and, and, and the Eagles couldn't do anything against them. Yeah, 46 sacks so far this season, Wentz has taken. And there's still five games to go. Yeah. They are very difficult to watch because I feel for Carson Wentz, not that I'm his biggest fan, but my God, this guy can't even stand in the pocket without, I mean, it's just awful watching him take a beating week after week after week. You know, you get the feeling if he had time to throw, he might actually be able to do something with the football. But the other thing is you look at the all 22 with the Eagles 
There's nobody open downfield. There's no separation. I was thinking along the same lines as this. Did a little bit of digging into the numbers. Mm -hmm. Wentz is actually, you would not believe this unless you looked at the numbers. He's worse when he isn't under pressure. (laughs) When he's not under pressure and he has time to think. He makes terrible decisions. Right. It's like he it's like when he has to go with his first read and just kind of throw the ball quickly because if he doesn't, he's gonna absolutely get murdered. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make some of these crazy mistakes. But when he is kept clean, he has a sixty five point eight percent completion rating. That's the second worst in the NFL. An eighty three point five passer rating, that's second worst in the NFL. And he has ten interceptions when he is in a clean pocket. Dude is not good. Now, the concern on the other side of the ball, to me, the one thing Philadelphia does pretty well is rush the quarterback. And with Corey Lindsley out of the lineup for the next three to five weeks, the Packers offensive line, which has done a very good job all season, is going to have to keep that defensive pass rush off of Aaron Rodgers. That, to me, is my big concern. Uh Rushing, we should be able to run the football on these guys, but their pass defense isn't bad and their pass rush is solid. And the Packers have to be able to protect Rodgers. It is going to be a huge, huge key. You you look up and down the numbers here. Brandon Graham, seven sacks. Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett, five and a half sacks each. They spread the wealth around. That is going to be the big challenge for the Packers offensively. Correct. One of the things that we have going for us is Fletcher Cox might not actually play. He has not practiced all week. Hey, credit Adam Stenovich, the offensive line coach for the Packers. He has done a masterful job moving guys around, being creative. We're down to, I believe, just two starters on the offensive line uh, at each position. That would be Billy Turner at right tackle, David Bakhtiari at left tackle. But we got John Runyon and Lucas Patrick playing left and right guards. Uh, That was not supposed to happen (laughs) at the beginning of this year. Looking at the financials, I think it's going to be very, very, very difficult to bring Corey Lindsley back. And it certainly seems like the Packers are interested in moving forward with Elton Jenkins at center. I would really like to get him a lot of good reps in center. This is definitely not the kind of like easy practice week (laughs) (laughs) that you'd like to hand him. So PFF has not really cared for Elton this year and has not been a big fan of how he's performed at center. You got to give him credit. Last week, they kept him clean. The The Bears had zero hits of any kind, let alone sacks. Right. They didn't. T- well, they, they had the one play that was roughing the passer. That was and, and so it was nullified. But that was the only right. one. In addition to Stenovich, you got to give credit to Brian Gutekunst because one of the things that he's done is emphasize versatility when adding players along the offensive line. I mean, Elton Jenkins in college played center, tackle, and guard. And now he's played all three positions this season alone for the Packers. Lucas Patrick can play either side guard. He could play center. John Runyon Jr. drafted as a guard, played tackle in college, can play there. Billy Turner signed as a free agent last year by Goody. Tackle this year, guard last year. Lane Taylor can even play tackle in a pinch. And by, and by the way, Turner has played both yes, tackle Yes, this positions. year, both tackle positions. So the versatility aspect of the offensive line 
has been a major reason that this team has not missed a beat, despite the fact that they've started five different combinations in 11 games and mid game on at least four occasions had to juggle their lineup and they're still getting the job done. And and right now their offensive line, Green Bay's ranks near the top of the league in most categories. Uh, Even Rick Wagner, who, you know, has filled in at both tackles, has filled in as Mm -hmm. an emergency tight end when uh, Big Dog was was down (laughs) and hurt. These guys, they just fill in next man up, next man over, and they get the job done. And that's made a huge, huge difference. I want to see some creativity from the Packers offense in terms of really focusing in on the Eagles weaknesses. That is something that was really missing last time we played them. I was talking to some Eagles fans during and after that game, and their minds were blown at the plan that LaFleur brought. They were baffled that we weren't putting points up against them, and they were saying, all you have to do is attack the end zone from further downfield because our secondary is terrible. Don't drive down and get into the red zone. Our red zone defense is out of this world, and it still is this year. They still have a great red zone defense. Mm -hmm. And then on defense, we need to make the Eagles throw the ball all day long. I've never heard of this on any other team. The Eagles actually get more yards per rushing attempt than they do per passing attempt. A lot of teams would really be licking their chops at that, and I'll, I'll tell you, Mike Pettin is licking his chops at it. The Packers run defense struggles all year with uh, for two years, which Pettin seems to have not noticed. This is a situation you have to take advantage of. We have to shut down the run game and force them to throw. I don't think they are capable of beating our second stringers if they have to throw all day. We can't let them run the ball. We have to get them off script and force them to play catch up through the air. And I think that's going to come down to something that the Packers have been very good at for two years now, building up an early lead quickly and making the Eagles play from behind for the whole night. Yeah. And if they do that, you got a situation with it plays right into Mike Pettin's hands because he's more than happy to let you have eight or nine yards on third and 17 if you run a draw play. If you're up by 17 points in the third or fourth quarter, and you want to run the ball and try to march the ball down the field 12 plays and take eight minutes off the clock to do it, he's more than happy to let you do it, kick a field goal preferably, or bog down with either a penalty or a turnover before that. And that's really a lot of his strategy and how Petten likes to play that. Now, he gets into trouble against better teams sometimes when he tries that, but the Eagles right now... Their offensive line is struggling. Their passing game is struggling. You get that lead, they're in big trouble. They're making some bizarre personnel decisions at times, too. Alshon Jeffrey is getting an insane number of snaps for a guy who's not producing anything at all. Last week versus Seattle, there was a situation. It was second down and nine in the red zone. They ran an empty set, five wide. Richard Rodgers, Dallas Goddard. Caleb Wilson, Boston Scott, and John Hightower. You don't have Jalen Rager or Travis Fulgham. Easily your two best receivers on Mm -hmm. the field. Mm -hmm. If you were to rank Eagles' top receiving threats, Travis Fulgham, Jalen Rager, Richard Rodgers, Miles Sanders, out of those guys, they had one of them on the field there. 
and everybody else was sitting on the bench. This is clearly a game that you, you can't put this into the same category as anything else we have played. I mean, not even the Jaguars game. The Eagles might have a better record than the Jaguars, but that's only because they're playing other teams <laughs> in the NFC least. <laughs> the The Jaguars, I think, are a far superior team to the Eagles at this point, even with their their uh, revolving door of random quarterbacks you've never heard of <laughs> under center. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough for me to say the Jaguars are far superior to anybody right now in the NFL, with the possible exception of the Jets. The Eagles have lost three straight. You know, the amazing thing is when when you look over their season, two of their three wins have come against other NFC East powerhouses. So, you know, here's a concern, though, that I have uh, looking over this game and the way the Packers defense has played. First of all, the Eagles are strong at tight end. Zach Ertz should be back in the lineup. Zach Ertz, Richard Rodgers, and Dallas Goddard. That's three solid tight ends, and the Packers have trouble covering tight ends historically. And then you have two receivers out there who are looking for some sort of revenge. That's Richard Rodgers, who was with the Packers for so many years, and then Travis Fulgham, who you mentioned before, who the Packers had in camp and let go. Uh, You hope those guys don't have a little extra chip on their shoulders coming into this game and that the Packers can cover them and and shut them down. And again, to me, the pass rush is the key to that. All right, there's no question here who we both expect to win this game. (laughs) But what do you think the final score is going to be? I tell you, I think the Packers will be able to move the football on the Eagles' defense. I think the offensive line will get the job done. Uh, I think it's going to be Packers 34, Eagles 13. The Eagles have pretty consistently gotten very close to 20 points in just about all their games. Uh, It looks like everything generally falls between 17 to 23 points. There's a couple outliers, but for the most part, that's it. I think they're going to get really close to 20. I don't know if they'll hit 20 exactly, but maybe 17. Packers, I think, are going to probably pop her into neutral once they clear, uh, say, 34-ish. So I'm going 34-17 as my final score. So 34-13, 34-17. Clearly, we are seeing eye-to-eye this week. I think if it were a closer game, you'd see the Packers really drive up the score, but I don't think that they're going to feel the need to do that. I will say would like a little bit of revenge against uh, Derek uh, Barnett for <laughs> last year, uh, sending Jamal Williams to the hospital and then continuing to headhunt, lowering his head to try and tackle Devontae Adams. I have a, a chip on my shoulder for the Eagles because of that game and the injuries in it. I wouldn't mind really embarrassing them. I would love to see them embarrass the Eagles. You know, you go back to last year. Heck, you go back to fourth and 26. There is no need for uh, the Packers to let up on the Eagles. I would very much like to see the Packers with a comfortable win. I think they had one last week against the Bears. When you're going up against a mediocre team and maybe mediocre is kind with the Eagles this year, you, you've got to put them away. You know, I, I would expect that the Packers hope this game is over by the third quarter like it was Sunday night at Lambeau. Oh, shoot. That game was over by the end of the first quarter. More or less. So we have a listener question this week. This comes from Mike Rathbone on Twitter. Given our limited options, he asked, how would you improve the defense heading into the home stretch? Gil, I'll let you take a stab at this first. 
Yeah, it's a tough one. And I, I think the uh, reader said it well when he said limited options. Uh, I, I think that the big key is improving the pass rush more than anything, because that's the thing that's missing between last year's team and this year's team. I think that that pass rush creates turnovers. We saw that against Chicago for sure. And maybe utilizing Preston Smith less in coverage, more rushing the passer, and getting more reps to Rashawn Gary, who has fairly quietly had a strong season when he's been healthy this year. I I think those are the keys because I don't think Mike Pettin is going to change. He's not all of a sudden going to emphasize stopping the run. I I I think, you know, bringing in a player uh, like Rush, who they signed this week to beef up the run defense, certainly is a step in the right direction. But getting more pressure on the passer and not playing as soft uh, in the secondary, I think those are the two things they need to to emphasize realistically. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think this is generally what fans want to see as well. But last year, there were times when Petten's defense looked really, really good, especially early on in the season. This was a really aggressive, violent defense, something that we saw for most of the season last year was a defense that really would lock it down, but then sometimes they would allow really big plays. That is something that uh, Petten really adjusted and overcame toward the end of the last season. He is deathly afraid of giving up big plays. And I think the Detroit Lions game at Lambeau last year, week six, when Stafford came out and, I mean, gosh, I think the very first play of the game, I don't think it was a touchdown, but it was a it was a flea flicker that went for like 80 yards, something like that. It was, uh, you instantly like got the sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach, like, ooh, <laughs> the Lions are not messing around here. I'm not sure we came to play to the level that they, that they have this week. I think that that game in particular is one of the ones that really burned Pettin and made him adjust from, you know, in 2018 and 2019, he, for the most part, had a really aggressive offense. There was a big emphasis on trying to get these three and outs right away, rushing the passer, a lot of exotic blitzes. I think if you are Matt LaFleur and you're looking for a Super Bowl caliber defense, I think maybe you're okay with going back to giving up some of those really big chunk plays, getting more turnovers, shutting out teams in the second half more like we were able to do in 2019. One of the big issues that we're seeing this year in the Colts game is a great example of that. I thought the defense played really well against the Colts. I thought they played really well against the Bears. But something that you saw in the Colts game is that despite the massive lead we were able to get, we never shut the Colts down. They were able to stay in the game and keep chunking away and coming back, coming back. And I think if you play more aggressively and call plays more aggressively, you can break the spirit of these opposing offenses better, which is something that we did see a lot last year. I think you're right. This is definitely the way I would like to go about it. Would like to see more Rashawn Gary. Preston Smith has definitely been playing better. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, last week against the Bears, I think you could call that like a, I don't know if it's a breaking out or a coming home party or something, but maybe a, a big part of it had to do with there were fans in Lambeau. We've heard, I mean, most of the team has 
really complained a lot about not feeling as connected with their teammates this year because of all of the COVID restrictions that prevents you from spending time with each other. Complaining about, you know, it doesn't really feel like Lambeau because there's nobody there. And I mean, they didn't have a lot of fans there. Just a few, but I mean, I got to imagine that hearing some of that Go Pack Go and hearing fans get excited, it gives you something else to play for. I think Preston, we know from interviews with him, he is a, I'm not going to say he's an emotional guy, but he is an emotionally motivated guy. He was asked today, what was the more exciting play to you? From the Bears game, was it your uh, pick six or your uh, scoop and score, or was it the sack you got? And he said, "Oh, it was the scoop and score because I got to go celebrate with all my teammates, and we all got excited." Yep. I mean, th- this is this is a guy who clearly feeds off of ma- seeing other people get excited. I have to imagine that a big reason for why he showed up had to do with having some fans in the stands, and then the other thing is, yeah, Rashawn Gary has earned, as Matt Lafleur said earned a lot more playing time and snaps. And this was the first game since his rookie season that Preston did not start a game. And I clearly he was motivated by that, looking and going, ooh, I might actually lose my job, which is something that fans have known for a long time. But I think it maybe just dawned on Preston this week. It doesn't look like the fan situation is going to change drastically or that the COVID procedures are going to change drastically between now and the end of this season or the end of the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't think much is going to change. There may be some fans, you know, at the Super Bowl, but it's going to probably be reduced capacity. And Preston Smith is going to have to l- figure out how to feed off of his teammates with with the restrictions that exist right now being in place. All right, we got a debate question for this week. There has been a lot of social media hate for Brian Gutekunst. I'm a massive Brian Gutekunst fan. I pretty strongly disagree with a lot of the criticisms of his drafting. I think that his strategy is not the same most fans have and most members of the national media have. And for that reason, a lot of people look at him and they see his drafting as being failed. Gutekunst is a guy who looks at the fact that we usually have a late round draft pick and realizes he has to be drafting for the future. You need guys on your roster right now to be the ones to step up and play right now. But he's not without fault. What do you think is Brian Gutekunst's biggest mistake so far as a general manager? Wow. Uh, You know, it's still open to debate in a lot of ways. But to me, I would have to go with the signing of Jimmy Graham making him the highest paid tight end in the National Football League back in 2018. In two years, 32 games, a grand total of five touchdowns. You know, the thing that was disturbing more than anything was, to a lot of fans, a perceived lack of effort on Graham's part, not winning those 50-50 balls, not getting both hands up and trying to make certain catches. I mean, nobody expected Jimmy Graham to be a great blocker, And maybe his speed is not what it was during his time with the Saints and the Seahawks, but he should have at least been a great red zone target, be able to separate and use his size and help Aaron Rodgers down in the red zone. And for two years, he almost never did. So ask me, I I would have to point to Jimmy Graham from a waste standpoint, as far as cap space is concerned and a lack of production from a guy who was brought in to be a big time free agent. Now, this is not my official answer I'm going to give for this question, but I'll argue that 
as big a mistake as that was, it was probably a bigger mistake to bring him back for year number two after you saw how poorly he did in year number one. I'm going to say that there is another incident that was a bigger failing than Jimmy Graham. And that's because of the lasting impact. I'm looking at the Dean Lowry extension. We got rid of Mike Daniels and extended Dean Lowry. And we have seen since then that our defensive line, more often than not, is a liability. And Dean Lowry provides very little benefit to the team, especially in 2019. He does have a sack this year, but hardly any pressures. He grades out well below average, according to Pro Football Focus. Jimmy Graham is gone, and you could look to some really positive benefits of having him in the locker room. You look at the things that uh, Bob Tunyon and other players on the offense, not even necessarily tight ends, have talked about in terms of the leadership that he brought and the things that they learned from him. I think that he was a really good presence on the team, even if his performance on the field was massively lacking in just about every category. But the lasting impact of having the Dean Lowry extension and still trying to lean on him as a contributor next to Kenny Clark, I think we're still paying for it. And for that reason, I think that that is a bigger damage to the team than a guy who has been gone already for a whole year. Uh, Those are fair points. I just think, you know, the amount of money that was spent on Graham is so much bigger than the amount on Lowry. And no, Lowry hasn't lived up to that extension. There's no question about that. But to me, you know, Jimmy Graham, you spent a lot more money on him. And for a guy who's the highest paid tight end in the National Football League, you need more production. You can you could pay Mercedes Lewis two million dollars a year and say he's a great influence on the in the locker room and he can block well and contribute that way. You can't make a guy the highest paid tight end in in the NFL and then come back and say, yeah, but he had good intangibles. <laughs> All right, fans, please head over to Twitter. Check us out at Gil Packers or at JJ Leahy. We really want you to weigh in and vote on who you think had the better answer. We're going to post a Twitter poll here. Now, we've had actually uh, some people voting who clearly have not listened to the episode. And the reason I know that is because the Twitter poll actually goes up about an hour before the episode goes live. And that has to happen because we have to include a link to the poll uh, in the show notes for this episode. And we get answers that come in before the episode has even gone live. So rather than putting in here, vote JJ or vote Gil, if you liked Gil's answer, vote option one. If you liked my answer, vote option two. Remember, that is at Gil Packers or at JJ Leahy on Twitter. We're going to pin the poll to the top of our Twitter pages. Well, that does it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show. And thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com